Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Grief and Rebirth Podcast. I'm speaking to you from Northern New Jersey, while today's very special guest, Vanessa Laughlin, is speaking to us from Seattle, Washington. Vanessa is going to address this literally life-changing question, which is, is there a better way to handle often overwhelming end-of-life challenges? Vanessa, who is the founder of Bannister Advisors, has very creative solutions for this complex dilemma. In early 2018, Vanessa, who holds an MBA with distinction from the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington and a BA in economics from Tufts University, left a successful career in management consulting to focus full-time on developing Bannister Advisors. Vanessa was inspired to create and found Bannister Advisors as a new kind of professional services firm that helps clients gracefully navigate life's most overwhelming challenges, such as health crisis management, complex elder care situations, end-of-life circumstances, bereavement after major loss, and multi-dimensional estate settlement needs. Vanessa, I'm delighted to welcome you to Grief and Rebirth Podcast. I know you're going to bring hope to many people about end-of-life care and plant seeds about how Bannister Advisors can make a significant difference in the emotional weight a family often bears, grieving a loved one while getting their affairs in order. Let's begin what is going to be an enlightening and very interesting discussion with this question about you. What in your personal experience inspired you to found Bannister Advisors? Thank you, Irene, and thank you so much for this opportunity to take part in your incredible podcast. Thank you. Yeah, so to answer your question, the name Bannister is in honor of my late father-in-law, Jay Bannister Laughlin, and we're actually coming up on the third anniversary of his death at the end of May, so as anyone who's grieving understands, um, those anniversaries, you know, they're, they're a pretty big deal in our life and the life of our family. But, you know, really, it was through the experience of Jay's unexpected stage four cancer diagnosis, the journey, the fight, as we kind of think of it in our family, to heal and get better. And, you know, really the, the intensity of that experience over 18 months. And then his um, still unexpected death um, due to a bacterial infection after his body was so weak wow. the intensive treatment. Um, and it was very, it went from, you know, seeing him one day and, you know, being in his home to 36 hours later, he was, he was gone. It was, it was very, it was a very fast um, process, unfortunately, at the end. And, and, and then the aftermath, which we're, we're frankly, we're still in, you know, I think there's something that we 
are able to share as a team with the, the folks we work with that are in the bereavement services that we provide where, you know, they'll say, well, my, you know, my loved one died a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And we'll say, wow, that just happened. Right. And they say, thank you for saying that because other people are asking me why I'm not over it yet or when I'm going to date again or, or, you know, why, if it's still something that's, you know, a part of my life. And I think that that's, that's the thing that's important is because we, walk this journey of end of life, bereavement, and the aftermath, right? The rest of the life of the survivors. We, we have a different perspective, not just from our own experiences, but from a professional experience of, of that, that different view <laughs> that it might be more culturally standard, I would say, around what, you know, what, is, what does that look like? So, so really, like, to, to go back to your question, the, the inspiration and the continued um, I would say, energy that comes into this this uh, new type of professional services offering is absolutely inspired not just by the experience of Jay's death, but by who he was as a man as well. So tell us about him a little bit. Oh gosh, I could take the whole time to talk about Jay. So uh, Jay came into my life when I was in my early twenties and started dating his amazing son. And we are actually also in May, or we're coming up on our 10-year wedding anniversary. So we have Bless you. Thank you for in that month. And, um, you know, he, he was an incredible person. He was a man who was deeply devoted to his family, to his community. To, he was a, a, a lay minister in the local Buddhist community in Seattle. He was a man that would spend two... Um, nights a week or a month rather doing domestic violence calls as a mediator with the Seattle police department. He never spoke about it, but it was just a thing that he did after a career working at the city to support his family. He went back to school in his fifties and he got a master's in social work from the university of Washington solely for the purpose of being able to become a licensed psychotherapist and provide pro bono therapy services for the low income community in the Puget Sound region. And he was hilarious, (laughs) loving, um, the best grandfather you could ask for. Oh, how wonderful. A wonderful husband. Um, He he was absolutely like a father to me. Um, You know, the people that it's hard for you to not call him dad kind of a thing. (laughs) Um, But so, yeah, we miss miss him every day. We feel his presence. Um, Just, yes, it was a Saturday. My five-year-old son had his first t-ball practice. And we were on the same field where Jay in the neighborhood where Jay had actually been a, a coach for my husband's little league t-ball. And we really, we felt him there that day, you know, and it was so, um, like I said, I could go on and on about Jay, but just, you know what, you know what I'm getting from this though? He was such a, a loving, um, giving man and he was so compassionate to help other people. I feel like his spirit is probably so embedded and Bannister Advisors, what I like about what you're saying is that it's a lot of people would look at something that you're doing as a business, but what you're looking at it is you're, you have a lot of heart in it. You have a lot of um, um, compassion and heart. You must have when dealing with the people you're trying to help because it, his loving story is infused in your mission. It is, absolutely. Um you know, it's, it's interesting, the odd, different audiences that I speak to when I, as the founder of Bannister, share our story. And, you know, I can kind of 
tailor my message. It's always the truth, but I kind of try to talk to people where I can connect with them. And it's, it's really wonderful to be able to speak with people where I can talk about Jay as my co-founder, because it was really the spirit of how he lived his life. That absolutely, as you said, that's the perfect word. It, it infuses everything we do. And, you know, uh, he, he found himself in these roles of that guide role, right? So when people are in crisis, so if a woman has experienced a domestic abuse situation in the middle of the night and she's called the police, he was there to stand with her, comfort her, be there for her, not, not trying to force her in one direction or another, but purely there as a support, and then to follow up with her and be, do court appearances with her. And he, again, he did this without any desire to be recognized for it. In fact, he, you would ask him about it and he'd kind of think, oh, you know, like he, he really was a humble man. And then again, it's his role as a, a, a lay minister in the Buddhist community and in his role as, you know, coaching Little League, right? So this pattern in his life um, that ultimately culminated in his final career, even when he was going through the intensive cancer treatments, he was still making time to drive halfway across the state to meet his commitments for, again, completely pro bono counseling services in low-income communities in Washington. What a beautiful thing. So you must have a lot of compassion also, and we'll get to that question sure. about you know, financial um, arrangements uh-huh. and all of that kind of thing yeah. with people. But I also feel the spirit of my deceased husband in the podcast and all that I'm doing. So it, it's a very similar thing. We have both this is like a legacy, an amazing legacy that each one of them has left through us. And, and uh, it, it's, it, it fuels it with um, love and compassion, which is what it's about. So let me ask you another question. Bannister Advisors serves people in the, North, in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Please tell us about the brief intake questionnaire, the initial consultation, and the way your company creates a plan for people's needs while taking into consideration financial constraints. Also, how does, and one other thing, also how does Bannister Advisors physically located in the Pacific Northwest help people located much further away? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. So, you know, we, we always, again, with this line of work, there's never any pressure. There's nothing you know, like salesy about what we do. We really try to help people understand that we're there if and when they need us. In fact, it's almost a little joke when I'm meeting people out and about for networking. And they say, what do you do? And we'd have a conversation. At the end, I hand my card over and I say, I sincerely hope you never need our services. But if and when you do, we're ready, right? So we just start with an initial conversation, no pressure, completely complimentary. In fact, sometimes during our initial questionnaire, question and answer period, you know, it's usually about an hour long phone call or in person. Sometimes we're able to help people and say, you know, you don't actually probably need our services. What we're going to do is send you a, our eight page checklist for after, you know, for, for a bereavement checklist specific to your area. And if you have questions, call us up. Or, you know, I think what you need is a really great therapist and we've got somebody in mind that would be perfect for you. And then if you do, if things get more complicated, give us a ring. So in terms of meeting people where they're at, we, we don't ever think, you know, Bannister is the right service for everyone. And because of the experience we have and the content that we've created, sometimes we can just share that with a person or a family and that's enough. And that really gets them where they need to go. And I think even just that hour of mainly listening. So this is their opportunity to share with us where they're at. 
and what's going on and honestly what's keeping them up at night. Sometimes we, we say we really, one of the things that we offer is, with our services is simply a better night's sleep. Right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes if we can just, even in that conversation, if it goes no further than that, we're, we're often in a position to help people by validating, by normalizing what they're going through, by giving them some initial resources and often connecting them with other professionals that are going to be able to take care of them. Where this also gives us an opportunity to understand um, where we could be useful, right? So again, without being you know, overly promotional, we might say to someone, well, you know, we've experienced your type of um, situation in the past, and we found that it's often more complex than it might seem on the surface. And so here's what we would propose for our approach. So usually that we can kind of at a high level kind of talk to them about what that might look like, but we then go around and after the conversation, we take our notes and we consult as a team and we come up with a customized, completely bespoke engagement proposal for them. And this is a step that most professionals, I would say are maybe not in a position to do, but it's important to us, again, to do it the right way before we engage with a, with a family or an individual. And we, we create a, almost a, usually a two to four page document that outlines the context, what's the story and the situation, considerations that are, you know, you have to keep top of mind what the priorities are and the goals. We also call out risks, which is a really interesting um, uh, piece where a lot of people might not realize that they might be, um, have a liability consideration or that they might be missing out on a, an opportunity that's time sensitive or what, what have you. And this, again, this is probably the risk section has a bit more to do with end of life and um, kind of leading up maybe health crisis areas that work, maybe less so in bereavement, but even then it can get, it can get complex, particularly if you're talking about um, complex estate settlement situations where there might be some family dynamics that have to be navigated the right way. And so unfortunately it can get pretty tricky. Oh, pretty no, I, 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 I <laughs> totally understand that. And um, I've been privy to that. And I think that a company like yours would be wonderful from taking the charge out of that yeah. Dynamic. You're kind yes. of like overseeing it. So all that infighting and everything, uh, it loses its power. It does. And I think what's hard about grief is that it takes any normal emotions or relationships or situations within a family and it just turns the heat up, kind of as you said, and it puts it at a boil. And sometimes I think what our presence does with our team is we can kind of just turn down the heat, you know, a bit. And it is interesting that, you know, I never really thought of it this way, but since I've started doing this work and, and working with our team, the role of conflict resolution and specifically creative conflict resolution is very important because you often have families that they want to be coming together in these difficult times. They want to be doing the best for themselves, their health, for the memory of their loved one. And they just, they get stuck, you know? And so often I would say a little bit of help goes a long way especially from a third party that doesn't come in with the history of what happened at Thanksgiving 35 years ago, that doesn't come in with the like, you know, <laughs> the relationship of, you know, the, the brother-in-law that doesn't get along with the cousin and the this and the that. And this is, this is, you know, we, sometimes we joke, diagnosis human, you know, <laughs> humans. And, um, I think also because of our own personal histories, I come from a really big Colombian family. You know, my mom has eight brothers and sisters. I have 22 wow. plus first That's cousins. Complicated. <laughs> it's, there's so much love, but 
it's complicated, right? And I think that because we are professionals, but we are human professionals, and because we take a very kind of a more traditional client services approach, we we try to <laughs> we use technology as appropriate, but whenever we can have those in person or over the phone one on one connections, we think that's a really important part of making this a therapeutic process um, because they're there is a lot of grief, even leading up to a death, and it's layers of grief. And I think that a successful engagement for us is when we can leave a family unit stronger and more resilient than when we came came on board. And that's at whatever phase. Yeah. So that's one of our that's one of our goals with every client engagement is to really try to heal and rebuild some of these relationships that have been strained because it won't. We you know we say to people this experience you're going through this is this isn't where it ends this is life and you know if you can come together at this difficult time with this loss then you'll be there for each other in ways that you can't even imagine are around the corner because it's not a one-off right um so that's a big part of what we do and i i think that it's for your for your listeners out there um i, I don't i can't show them a picture but if they can imagine our logo is a bridge and we really think about that a lot in many different ways, that metaphor, both a bridge from end of life into beyond, as you said, serving clients in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. It's a little bit of a play on words, um, but also a bridge to, you know, healing, a bridge to, um, you know, a different way of being with your family or with yourself or with your community. And so that relationship metaphor that a bridge provides um, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And I, I think it's also where we see our role as well. I mean, some people have said, oh, so you, you work with a family and then you just work with them kind of forever. And we say, no, we have a really clear and identified beginning and a middle and an, and an end because people need to take the resilience that hopefully we've been able to help them grow within themselves and take that forward on their own. And so we see our services, if we've done our job right, to be very empowering for people um, and part of their getting to their next chapter and what that might look like. Um, I can't even, I mean, I, I think it would be so wonderful considering all the stress that people are under when they go through this, just to have a more neutral, loving, healing entity, a guy, like yeah. an umbrella over, yeah. over the process, yeah. right? Well, we kind of, another metaphor, we love metaphors, analogies, figurative language. It's kind of impossible to avoid in this line of work. And so one of the things we talk about is particularly with bereavement that we're, like the Sherpa to help you climb Mount Everest because no one would climb Mount Everest without a Sherpa. And what does a Sherpa do? A Sherpa helps carry the load. A Sherpa helps you identify the best path. A Sherpa will say, hey, there's some clouds building over that part of the mountain range right now. And that worries me because of a past experience I had. And they can kind of help you avoid, you know, um, heading down the wrong way at the wrong time. And hopefully they, you know, are also there to kind of buoy your spirits, and, you know, help you find, find small joys along the way. And so we really see what we do is having, again, walked that journey so many times with so many others. Every single engagement teaches us, both as individuals, the team of navigators, as we call them, are the main individuals who work with clients. Our navigators learn not only from their own life experience, but they, we learn from our clients, and then we can take that collective knowledge and wisdom and provide it to the next family that comes along. And that to me is like having access to, frankly, a time machine, right? Fabulous. We can say to someone, 
you know, this is what people say three years after losing their loved one, what made a difference at their deathbed. And we can share those as options and suggestions with individuals. I'll give you a quick example. We've had clients that have, we've been able to bring in personal historians. And so for mm -hmm. the last weeks of life, that can be a really wonderful, meaningful activity for a family is to sit down and inter help interview their, their mother, their father, their loved one, and capture those stories in a way that then this artist, the, the writer, can turn into a, um, a, a little book, you know, that can be shared for generations. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So we find, um, and That's for people, great. one other quick example, and this is where the creative aspect of what we do comes into play. We have a landscape designer who will sit with a family and they'll co-design a legacy garden that is to be planted after the individual's death. And it becomes a bridge of meaning because they design it together. And even if that garden never is planted, it's still the process that means so much. And then a watercolor design can be created and could be hung in each of the homes of the family members. And that's, that's, that's the important stuff. That's the things, again, three, five, 10, 20 years out that people will remember what was done in those last, um, that last chapter. And it doesn't just have to be waiting for the end. You can really make it, make it a meaningful experience and a, a, in, in, in and of itself, a bridge to the legacy of that person, even when they've, they've left this earth. And let me ask you, if somebody um, is not in the Pacific Northwest and they say, wow, this is great. How do you, can you, can you serve people who are anywhere? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question. Initially, when we started the business, the assumption was, let's see what we can create and build in the Northwest, thinking it would be very regionally focused, not just from our team members' perspective with our clients, but also from the other the teams of individuals that we bring in to create a, a circle of support around the, the individual and families. But what happened is that pretty early on, we started to learn that our services could be helpful even remotely. So one of our very first stories involved a family that was from the Northwest, but was traveling in Mexico. And, um, you know, we ended up being able to help them remotely. And I can provide more details about that. But just to share a couple others, we had an individual based in Seattle and he had recently been injured. And his mother was in New Hampshire and about to undergo a major downsizing and move. And he's, you know, we're talking busy working professional, two young kids managing a, a very severe back problem. And it was his wife, actually, that called me saying, our family needs help. And after a conversation with him, separately, a conversation with his mother, who was a, a widow. Um, so she was dealing with her own grief, which was also the reason behind her needing to downsize and move was um, the circumstances related to her husband's death a year earlier. And again, this is a very loving family, but they were in a tricky spot. Because they were overwhelmed. He, they were overwhelmed. All he wanted to do was be her son and fly out and help her, but he, could, he, was, he couldn't barely go to his own job, couldn't pick up his own small children. It was a really tough time. So it ended up being quite a small engagement um, that involved me, you know, interviewing each one of them, understanding the situation, coming up with a proposal, going back and forth, and then jumping in and helping. And we were able to find many wonderful local resources in rural New Hampshire, keen to New Hampshire, um, where it, it was all about finding the right people remotely, vetting them, getting them engaged, doing the kind of administrative help to create a calendar. And before you knew it, you know, 
two-week period had gone by and she was settled in her new apartment. You know, the things had been not only handled, but she found a way to sell items that was another source of income for her that she hadn't been aware of. She'd found treasures in her home that if she'd done it too quickly might have just been you know, thrown out. And so and you we, identified those treasures. You were able to help her to know. To get the right people in place with the right networks. And it's, it's really wonderful when you can do that work on behalf of someone else. I mean, think people often are expecting the emotional impacts of grief and being overwhelmed by life crisis. They talk about maybe the behavioral health impacts. So if you manage anxiety or depression, of course, those symptoms are going to spike when you're under stress. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk enough about the cognitive impacts of grief. People will say things like, I, my, my mind is just a fog, or I feel like I'm moving through maple syrup, or I, I don't understand why I keep losing my keys. And those are all very normal, even healthy Absolutely. reactions to grief. And so if you can get someone, we have, we have a great person on the team that says, I'll just lend you my prefrontal cortex, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, because they'll say, you'll have these really accomplished, really intelligent people that say, why does my, when I talk about my my mom's end of life situation, my brain just shuts down. And this is like a surgeon you're talking to. And it's, you have to kind of help them understand how incredibly normal what they're going through is and how um, we're there to help. Right. And help them get because the sooner they can get through the overwhelming piece, the more they can go back to being, you know, the the new version of themselves and adjusting to the new the new normal. Um, And so we 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 again, that's our primary our primary role is to serve in that function. Amazing. Um, Tell us about the current innovations in the professional field serving clients facing a health crisis end-of-life issues and bereavement after loss? Well, I'm glad you asked that because there are there are quite a few innovations, obviously, in, in a large part of what we do is to try to keep on top of what's going on. And what's interesting is that we're seeing uh, and just a general expansion and awareness um, as the demographic shifts of the baby boomers aging, um, people living longer. You know, there's a, just the volume of families that are being touched by this is incredible. So from the healthcare field, from the field of financial services, legal, it almost touches everything if you think about it, mental health. There's a lot of, I would say, technology solutions coming on board. And I, I'm in, I'm, I find that both heartening and disheartening in some ways. Um, what I love is that with Bannister and with the innovation that we're you know, bringing, bringing to the field, we can combine when appropriate technology, but really what we do is a, a, I would say an older form of client services. It's very, very based in human relationships, um, concepts like unconditional positive regard, which come from the field of uh, psychotherapy and social work. And because everyone on our team that is client facing navigator role, they are all not only deeply experienced in health crisis, navigation, and end of life and bereavement, but they're all master's level social workers and licensed psychotherapists. And they bring a set of tools to this practice that you'd be hard pressed to find in just any other profession, but then we're creating something new as well. So they come in as social workers, but to become a Bannister navigator, they're also getting training in legal matters, conflict resolution. They go through a business certificate program, they learn uh, skills and techniques from 
project management consulting, strategy consulting. And so we're really creating a new um, type of professional that is really needed in these difficult, difficult times. That's but fabulous. yeah, but then we also have a director of spiritual guidance, a hospice chaplain with decades of experience who is there not only to be a support for different client engagements, but she's also is a, an internal support function for our navigators. So our innovation comes with a very, I guess, human lens and um, an understanding of the importance of the human to human connection in this, these very difficult times. That is so important. And that's, I, to me, that's what would make you stand out. Um, because that's really what people need at this time. They need. Yeah, to I, we like to say we're not. I get. I get. I gotta. Can't tell you how many times people say, "Okay, well, tell me more about your app." And I say, "It's not an app. It's not an app." Which is a pleasure. I mean, wow. Thank you. There's um, no. There's no username and password involved in anything you do. <laughs> that's a selling. That's a selling point all by itself. <laughs> there's a place for that in our modern world, but that's not. That's not what, what we're offering. We're that's offering fabulous. And that's, I'm really glad to talk to you for people <laughs> to know this. Great. You were starting to talk about your classic sandwich generation story. Is there yes. anything else you want to add to that? Um, I would just say that I think that there are a lot of people out there that are stuck between a very busy, very demanding career, often involving travel, that are also experiencing the, the ups and downs, the joys and trials of having small children. Uh, as the mother of a three-year-old and a five-year-old, I am no stranger to that. And then they usually have a spouse that's always also busy and working. And at the same time, there's, you know, the roles in their families are starting to change. They're starting to become the person in the family that their parents look to when they're feeling overwhelmed or need support or at the end of their life. Um, and so I think that a lot of people can feel very isolated, very lonely. They think that they're the only ones going through it, but the statistics don't bear that out. I mean, in any given work situation, you have between, you know, one quarter and one third of the individuals dealing with either in their own immediate family or with their parents, a health crisis, an end of life or a bereavement related issue. And I think the tricky thing within our culture is that we don't talk about it and it's a private matter and you're supposed to, you know, kind of hide it from your team, from your boss, from your organization and kind of do it discreetly. And I think the one thing that we can tell people right away is you are not alone. You are, you know, unfortunately we are surrounded by people going through these types of struggles and by being a bit more open about it and, and even just what we can share you know, the types of stories of the people that we're working with, the patterns we see. I think that's very comforting to professionals who just feel like, how can they possibly go one more day, given all of the um, constraints on their time and all the responsibilities? Because that, that is, I think, the word crushing would be accurate, the way Absolutely. people feel. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that you take tremendous pressure off people. Yeah. Like, it's like, thank you. It's like a relief. Yeah. Um, please take some of this away from me. I think people feel like they're being crushed by boulders. And if we can just remove a few of the boulders, then they can shake off the rest of the rocks and stones, you know. That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Highly capable people. Great. Thank you, Vanessa. We're going to take a quick break to allow a minute for our sponsors who keep this podcast free for our listeners. We'll be right back. We're back. Thanks for tuning in. 
to this enlightening interview today with Vanessa. Let's continue on with this question. I see that you have what you call future mapping for acutely impacted survivors. Please explain what future mapping is and how it helps survivors during the grief process. Oh, great, great. I'm glad that you brought that up. So the future mapping is a term that we coined within our team to describe kind of a range of services that can help people who typically it's after they've lost a loved one. And it's, I would say, past the period of um, lasagnas, right? You know, at first everyone brings you lasagnas and then they start to trickle off and people aren't stopping by as often. And then the next time you run into them, they ask you a question like, so have you gotten on any of the dating apps? And I think particularly for widows and widowers, they're they are not anywhere close to even having a sense of what their future should look like. We get questions, um, you know, am I single now? What does that mean? Do I stop wearing my wedding ring? What should I do? And we don't come in with a prescribed answer like, okay, well, you are 18 months out and that means, you know, Per this chart that you should be feeling XYZ and should be doing these other things. No, no, no. We start off again, as we do with every engagement, trying to understand where people are at, who they are, what are their values, what are their goals, what is their vision, what are where do they see themselves? And I think the answer, simply put, for some people is they don't have any idea. And I think creating a space and understanding. Um, the processes that we bring to have them explore what that might look like is is really helpful. And I think for some people, it's often just presenting them with stories of other individuals and the paths they've taken until something kind of resonates and really sparks a feeling of recognition that maybe maybe that's what my life's going to look like. But I think, again, our role as as professionals isn't to come in with some predefined notion of what someone should or shouldn't do. And I think that that's actually where it gets really hard with well-meaning friends and family members. Absolutely. We either say you have to change everything and become a completely new person, or they might say you have to just go back to the, you know, who you were and why aren't you the friend that I had before, you know, let's say your husband died. And it's, it's really becomes a quickly about other people in the community and your family. And they're, they have opinions, they have feelings, they have, you know, um, sometimes even agendas of what they think is right. And so to have a truly neutral uh, group uh, uh, as our team, our navigators, and, and, and that relationship built where there's no judgment, there's no, um, you know, sort of forcing anyone into one direction, but really creating a space for that exploration. And again, that's where we might say, you know, people are telling you, you should go see a therapist, but really, why don't you consider this life coach? Have a coffee with, them. have a, you know, a complimentary conversation or um, where they might say like, gosh, I've been meeting with this life coach, but that's really not, they're really not getting to the spiritual element. And we say, okay, well, maybe this chaplain or an intuitive counselor, you know, a medium might be more appropriate for you. And I, so I think just helping people understand and be educated on what their options really are is really critical. And again, doing it in a non-judgmental, very supportive uh, way is what can get people to the point where they say, you know, I'm starting to have a glimmer of a vision of what my life could be and I want to explore it in this way. So again, it's it's harder, I think, and harder for people to find spaces for that. So that's important for what, for what we try to create for them. It's so interesting because I think your mission 
And the mission of this podcast is very similar where we're offering people all these options and, we are, and we're helping them to know that there are choices out there for them, but the decisions are up to them. One size does not fit all. One size does not fit all. It has to be completely, completely bespoke. Absolutely. And I was also happy to hear that you also um, guide people to um, holistic approaches also. Mm-hmm. if that would resonate with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I was also really happy to hear that you choose grief therapists who are, have masters in social work and they're very um, experienced and educated and uh, you kind of screen who Absolutely. you are, who you, uh, who you recommend and suggest. Yeah, I, I think I might I might have been and many of my team might have been matchmakers in a formal life because we get no greater joy than connecting <laughs> a client with the right professionals to then, you know, we give them a short list effectively. Because again, you go on to let's say psychology today, the website, it's a great resource, but you're gonna come back with hundreds of options and instead to have someone say, I know you, I've gotten to know you. And I want to give you these two people to meet with again, not, you know, without any pressure, have a meeting in their office or over coffee, take a walk with them, see how you feel afterward, give it some time because that relationship that might long outlast our banister engagement with the client, we need to, you know, create those right um, um, channels for them to get the support that they need. And sometimes it can be um, really a lot, a lot of individuals. We might find them that handyman that's going to listen to them, you know, and have a conversation, not just be rush, rush. We're going to find them a doctor that has an approach that maybe they make house calls, right? We're going to find them the, the, the gardener that's going to come in and take care of their lawn the way that their wife used to and, and really create a, a level of, you know, beauty and wonderful memories. So again, it can come through in the service providers, the other professionals, um, through the resources we share with them. We, you know, whether it's books or podcasts, perhaps, (laughs) Um, (laughs) right. And so, or even if it is apps, right. And again, we have, again, it's all about options and helping people explore in a safe, non-judgmental way on their timeline uh, without any sort of hidden agenda in what we what we offer. So again, that matchmaking after we get to know them is what ends up being, I think, part of our secret sauce, so to speak, as well. I think that's fabulous. I love that. Um, I want to also ask you, you have a story called Finding Meaning When Hope is Fading? Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I spoke to it briefly about one of our first opportunities to serve a family that wasn't physically located in the Pacific Northwest. And this actually was a Seattle family that had traveled to Mexico to get a an and, and last last chance, so to speak, treatment for their adult son who had been battling brain cancer. It was an incredibly sad story and an amazing family with so much love you can't even imagine. And the mother in particular had never left her son's side in the five years from his mid-20s to his early 30s that he'd been battling this really aggressive cancer. And they had stopped treatment. His doctors, I mean, we live in the Seattle area. We have some of the most incredible worldwide resources for cancer. But he had reached the end of his road for treatment in the Northwest. And there was a treatment available at a clinic in Mexico, just south of the border. 
that showed some promise. It was quite risky. Um, it had not been approved in the U.S., but it's not uncommon for families to seek out treatment in places like Mexico and Switzerland and France and Germany. And so they had, the parents had accompanied their son. And I actually, this is not uncommon, uh, where Bannister will get called by a family member. Um, and so in this situation, an aunt had called us and said, look, here's the situation. I'm worried about my, my brother, my sister-in-law, and my nephew. They're traveling to Mexico. And, you know, I feel like there's some risk involved in this. And we were able to validate that and say, yes, you know, the late stage cancer treatment, these can be very aggressive. They can, you know, there are some stories of miracles, but it can also lead to a health crisis. And we helped inform them, mainly by sharing resources that were out there at the U.S. State Department. Um, it's kind of a don't take our word for it. But we basically outlined, here's, here's what would happen if something were to happen in Mexico and you were to face the, the death of a U.S. citizen all abroad and, you know, helping them understand what that might mean for the stress levels, the complexity, the cost, um, the inability of other family members to be there for his end of life. And so really, we were able to kind of outline that. And because we were in a position to alert them to just the risks, the potential risks, when we spoke next a week later, it was an early morning on a Saturday, and that unfortunately, that worst case scenario had occurred the night before, where um, it was a, all of a sudden um, the body was weakened, pneumonia, and again, this took me right back to my father-in-law's experience of the bacterial infection. His body was so weakened from treatment that he succumbed to pneumonia. They conducted an emergency surgery. He had a stroke during surgery. Oh my God! So terrifying, right? And. But because the family had been alerted to the risks, they had already started to think of that possibility and made arrangements. And they were they had about a I believe a forty five minute window where he was came across the U S border into San Diego in an ambulance across the border and made their way to Kaiser Permanente. He Hospital. was already gone, but at this point, well, he was he was alive. He was alive. alive so he was point. stable enough. Just a forty five minute um, window of stability to get into the um, into the ambulance, zoom across the border with all the arrangements that needed to be made very quickly. And he ended up um, in Kaiser Permanente in San Diego. And then we got to work um, exploring different options over that long weekend. Is it a medical ICU flight that could be transporting him back into the Seattle area? Was he stable enough for that? Um, conversations with the family about what, the, again, what their options were, what their choices were, laying it out in a really clear way, because again, their cognition is going to be completely impacted at this point. And also just being there as an emotional support in another way. And it, all of this was over the phone. And then coordination with the local hospital, the social worker that was assigned there and being a support to them so they could be a better support. And then it was being with them along the journey where they learned that he was not going to be ever be stable again to travel, that they then had the hard news that the doctors recommended taking him off life support, which he was on at that point. And then it was, you know, being alongside them and being a resource and a support for when they took him off life support. And then it was several hours um, and then he died. And it was being able to, again, pull those boulders off of them wherever we could so they're saying, gosh, we don't know what we're going to do about finding a funeral home and saying, you go back to your hotel room, rest, we'll handle it. And going and then going out and calling different, um, you know, funeral homes in the area and having conversations and finding the right person 
who the funeral director who gave me her personal cell phone and offered to go to the hospital and meet with the family and helping them understand their options where of you know how to handle their son's you know remains in a most respectful and meaningful way was it in San Diego was it in Seattle and then helping them when they made the decision to transport their son's remains up to Seattle so that there could be a viewing um, which was again appropriate within their Catholic faith and he had a really big huge extended not just family but community of friends and supporters and so being able to make that a possibility with all of the permitting and the conversations with the two different funeral directors and and then getting the flight arranged and making sure that the flight crew had the notes and so that they wouldn't you know say you know something insensitive let's say to the family and et cetera, et cetera. And so all those, that coordination, we were able to take that not only off the immediate family, but we were also able to take that out of the hands of the aunt who she could go back to being a grieving aunt, a loving sister, you know, to her family in that time, instead of having to be this, you know, kind of almost an administrative role, a coordination project management role. And we were actually in a position, too, to do some really practical things. We knew that the family had some cost constraints. It had been very costly for that last trip to Mexico. So we were able to do things like negotiate um, costs with the two different funeral homes that needed to be engaged, both in San Diego and Seattle. We were able to find ways to cut costs um, related to uh, the end of like the, the services once they arrived back in Seattle, et cetera. And so we were able to, again, keeping them in mind. And I remember, I'll never forget the, the mother and the family at one point where she was so grateful. And in the middle of all this, she said, you know, I just, we've never even met you and you're just treating us with such love. And we, we were so grateful. We don't really understand it, but we're so grateful. And I kind of jokingly said to her, I said, you know what, I, this is what I and my team were here to do. And I just want you to think of us as like a distant relative you've never met before. And that's the role that we see ourselves playing, even as professionals, that you can bring a humanity and a caring and a compassion and love to professional services, that those two things can, can come together and be offered together. They don't have to be independent. I would like to think that what you do with Bannister Advisors is a model for other companies, and we wish more companies did things with heart. Yeah, the, I, I would argue that the best ones already do. It's a very traditional form of being a professional, but think about the best doctor, the best lawyer, the best uh, financial services provider or consultant or colleague. They all do it with the human. They add, their, they add the heart and the compassion. And a heart. It's a heart forward role. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that's wonderful. Do you have a message about the importance of healing that you would like to share with our listeners? I will pass on a message that's been shared with me from incredible healers. So I won't take credit for it, but if I had to sum it up is that the, the body and the soul and the mind wants to heal so that even when we feel that we are in our darkest, most overwhelming times is knowing that all those different parts of us that work together as who we are as one wants to heal. And sometimes it's less about trying to force it, but figuring out ways to become unstuck and allow for that healing to occur. That's wonderful. Thank you. And how do our customers contact you? And are your initial uh, consultations complimentary? 
Thank you for asking that. Our initial consultations are always complimentary. And like I said earlier, even if they don't um, turn into a, a client engagement of some skies and scale, we are often able to share completely free of charge resources, connections. We do not charge, we do not seek out nor accept third-party referral fees. That's just not part of our model. So we are able to do that completely free of charge. If uh, individuals are, are low income or um, on a fixed income or resource constrained, we're also able to uh, connect them with um, often free resources in the community. So we, we always try to give something away um, no matter what and make sure that that conversation is valuable. Um, I think that that was the question, but yes, yeah, so uh, always complimentary consultations. That's great. And tell me, Vanessa, what is your tip for finding joy in life? <laughs> um, Aside from what you're doing to help so many people, which must give you tremendous joy. It gives me tremendous joy. Um, I would say that again, I'll, I'll, I'll pull on a, a piece of advice that I have received, which is really about finding meaning, what's meaningful, meaningful for you. And that I think that you can find meaning in, in often non-intellectual um, or non-verbal um, ways. So if, for example, you find joy in dance or in food or in being in nature, ask yourself, how does this feel? Right? Does this make me feel joy? And then go seek that out sort of find it over and over again. And then the other piece would be around relationships, right? At the end of life, the two things people talk about is I wish I'd been more true to myself and the things that brought me joy in my life and not lived by the expectations of others. And then the other is I wish I'd invested more time in relationships. So I always use it. I always use a little bit of a thing when people say, oh, we should go out and oh, but I'm tired. And I think, well, I regret this when I'm 85. No, I'm going to do this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that I am finding joy in having this conversation with you because I think that it's going to be so helpful to so many people and it's such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your support of our, of our, of our company and our mission. Bannister Thank Advisors, you. thanks you. Oh my God, it's wonderful. Thank you for this invaluable discussion, which will get many of our listeners thinking in new ways about end-of-life plans they've been reluctant to even think about. Your company apparently delivers stability, relief, and improved outcomes when crisis strikes. What a blessing for those you and Bannister Advisors serve. Vanessa, a total pleasure chatting with you. Thank on you, Irene. Our podcast. And as I like to say, to be continued. Bye for <laughs> Wonderful. Now.